Isaiah, big book. Jeremiah, big book. Lamentations, teeny tiny little book with about three or four pages in the scriptures. I was having a hard time this week as I was studying for this. Uh, keep, yeah, hold, hold that thought. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about that verse, but I think this is a powerful verse for you given the topic of God's faithfulness. If you're not familiar with this verse, I would encourage you to take your pen, circle it, underline it, highlight it. Um, I don't know. Don't rip the page out and put it in your, you know, but underline it, highlight it, um, photocopy it, put it on your wall somewhere, put it on your mirror in your bathroom as you wake up every morning. This is a great promise in Scripture that God gives to us, the faithfulness. I want to start with a, a photo this morning. Um, so this, this picture that they're going to put up here. All right, so this is a picture of me in my younger days. Um, and this is a picture of my family. Um, I, was, I was tempted to shave this morning so you could see what I really look like, but Karen said, no way. She said, I've got used to looking at you this way, and you don't get to look that way anymore. So, um, but this is, a picture of our, this is a picture of a photo of our wedding day, obviously. Captain Obvious there. It sits on our coffee table at the moment. Um, and it's a reminder, I think, of the, of the covenant faithfulness that I made to my wife 23 years ago when we got married. It was an amazing, it was an amazingly hot day, July 15th, 1995. And it was a day that was filled with joy and laughter, as most wedding days are. You know, we're all dressed up there. I mean, notice how good, notice how good I look in a tuxedo. I mean, come on. You ever seen, you know, looking guy, well, don't, don't answer that. Yeah, you have. Everybody has in this room. Good job. Um, but all of us have these family portraits, don't we? Chances are you may have a family portrait sitting over your mantle, over your fireplace, or wherever it's at. I grew up in a Christian home, um, went to church every week, just about every week, uh, maybe except for vacation. The Bible was taught in my home. We did devotions sporadically, kind of like we do at our house, pretty sporadically. But Christ was a part of our lives. But I want you to know that this, this picture, this photo that you see here, it really, it only captures a moment in life. Just like any photo that's above your fireplace, right? It captures a moment. A moment where we're all happy, we're all smiling for the camera, we're all looking our best to, to present something uh, that we could put up in our house, or we could put it on Facebook, or we could do whatever with. The reality is, is that photos only capture the moment. Um, you don't see everything that it took to get there. And we don't see everything that's about to come where each person's story is headed. What you see in this picture and what you don't know is that my mom, uh, way on the right there, she lost her husband uh, in a farm accident. Um, my brother was one, years old, one year old. And so she spent nine years of her life as a single mom raising my brother. My brother, this is the tan guy up there. The guy looks orange. He's my stepbrother. His name is Jordan. Um, what else, what, the other thing that you don't see in this photo is my, my dad. My dad, <laughs> he was crushed. 
when he, he went to the doctor to check something out of my mom's leg and found out that she had cancer. And, and then, nine months later, she dies. Complete crush. Um, he's barely 30 at this point. He loses his wife. He has a two-year-old boy, my brother, the, the young guy. He, he looks a lot thinner. He, he's tall and skinny now with a beard, but uh, that's him. At, that's him. My five-year-old sister and, my, and me as a 10-year-old. Um, as far as, man, it was hard. Life is difficult sometimes. In fact, life is difficult a lot of times when we live from photo to photo, right? Um, a year after my mom died, some friends introduced mom and dad and got married. And we're thinking, man, we're just going to live happily ever after now, you know? We get mom, we get a mom, I have a mom, it's a dad, we're one big happy family, we're all together. You know that uh, blending a family is, is stinking hard? <laughs> you know how hard that is to blend a family? And how, man, some of the conversations that were going on in our house are like, you know what, you're not my mom, was a, was a conversation that we heard all the time from the siblings, you're not my mom. You know, or, or it was more like this, like, you like him better than the rest of us, right? These are hard things. It's hard to blend a family. After being a parent 21 years now, I can imagine how much pain came behind these conversations and the things that were happening behind closed doors in my house. Each of my siblings have gone through extremely difficult things in their, in, in their lives, hard situations that I'm not at liberty or freedom to really talk about because I didn't get their permission to talk about them. But you know what's behind every family portrait? Um, every family portrait is a picture of God's faithfulness. Life hasn't been easy for the Friesen family. Um, they've gone through hard things for a long period of time, and the story of our lives are still being written. But here's what they'd say to you if they were here this morning. They would tell you that God is faithful. God is faithful and maybe even more faithful in the midst of the hard things that happen in life. They would, if you're here this morning, here's what they would tell you. They would tell you that, that the only thing that carried them through some really hard times was God's the one that carried them through. My question to you this morning is this. What is your source of hope? You see, we all depend on, on something or someone to hold us up inside, right? Oftentimes for me, <laughs> I depend on my wife. <laughs> Sometimes I, I depend way too much on her to hold me up. Sometimes it's our kids their performance and how well they perform or how well they don't perform that holds us up and the way that that might reflect on us as parents or a spouse yeah the way they affirm you maybe a friend is the one that holds you up you know what i find in my own life it's finances <laughs> darn that money that's why jesus said it didn't he he's like you can't love god and money and yet so often, I depend on my finances and what I have or I don't have. 
the security that comes from a job, the security that comes from the stock market, or maybe your health. We depend on our health, or maybe it's how you look, or maybe you just put your hope in yourself. <laughs> how often do we do this? We put our hope in our own self and in our abilities to perform. We think, man, if I was just more faithful, if I can do more, if I do it better. You know what that's saying is that it's us. We're dependent on ourselves. Where does our hope come from? And, and when that something or someone is, is coming through for us, we experience this sense of, of peace, right? There's a sense of satisfaction. There's this optimism about the future. The future looks bright when everything's going well, doesn't it? But what happens when that something or someone fails to come through for you? And you experience this, this sense of anxiety, dissatisfaction, and ultimately despair. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, you know, who or what might that be? What is it that I put my hope in? Think about it this way. What brings you anxiety? What brings you dissatisfaction in your life? The answer to that question might indicate who or what you're depending upon. Even if it's your own performance, <laughs> then it's you. <laughs> and so if, if you're putting your hope in a job, if you're putting your hope in your spouse, if you're putting your hope in your kids and how you're putting your hope in or how you look or whatever it is, no, and you already know this, that all of those things can change in the blink of an eye. And so your life, if that's what you're dependent upon, your life will up and down based on every circumstance or relationship in your life. And so the key to, and to the secret to finding satisfaction in life is to find someone or something that can come through 100% of the time in any and every circumstance. And this morning, my prayer is that you would find hope in God, the real God. I want to He's faithful. God loves you, and, and we should allow our lives to reflect and revolve around God. Jesus alone is faithful. Supernatural power. Holy God, holy man who rose from the dead, who's walked with me through life, through all of these hard things that are in this picture. When it's been extremely hard, God is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And what I want you to know this morning is that God is faithful. And so we read in chapter 3. <laughs> and notice the word there. It says yet. <laughs> right? That means that something else is happening in the earlier part of this text. But he says this. He says, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. 
100% of the time, God does not fail. He's faithful. His faithfulness is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, God. That's what Jeremiah Do you realize the context that Jeremiah says this in? Jeremiah is standing in a desolated city that's been completely destroyed. You should read the words that he writes up to this point. Some of the things he says is that I've been deprived of peace. I've I've forgotten what prosperity is. God's coming through during this time on a promise, isn't he, that he made to Israel. He's telling Israel, if you walk away from me, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to destroy you and send you into captivity. Do you know that God's faithful even in the midst of discipline? God's faithful to keep his promises to us even in the midst of discipline. He's faithful to his word. Here's Jeremiah, it's of destruction brought about by, the, by Israel's sin. And his conclusion is this, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope because of the Lord's faithfulness, because of his great love for us and not consumed. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. And so this morning we're going to look at God's faithfulness. And as we have for every other attribute, we're going to start with the definition of what it means, what God's faithfulness means, and how God has, and then we're going to look at how God has revealed his faithfulness to us in Scripture. And finally, we're going to answer the question, how should we respond in response to God's faithfulness? And so let's start with the definition this morning, defining the faithfulness of God. I think it's in your notes. God's faithfulness is this, he's steadfast in affection, or allegiance. God is loyal. We sang about it this morning, right? Your love endures forever, right? God's loyal love for us. Synonyms of God's faithfulness would be like this. God is dependable. God is trustworthy. God's loyal. He's staunch. He's resolute. He's constant. He's reliable. He's true to his word. He keeps his promises. He's true to and consistent to his character. God is someone who will come through for you. And what is it that makes God faithful? What is it that we, how can we know that God is faithful 100% of the time? The answer is this, it's in your outline there. He's, he's all-knowing. God's never caught off guard. He knows what's coming next in your life. God's all-powerful. He never encounters anything or anyone who can thwart his plans or his purposes for your life. No one. God's holy. He's pure. He's honest. God is full of integrity. God is unable to lie. And therefore, he is consistent to his character and he's consistent to his word. God's eternal. He's not affected by time or space or time. He knows the end from the sphere of his influence. He's immutable. He never changes. 
He's never different than he is now. He's never in a bad mood. He never has a bad day. That's our God. Tozier sums it up well. He says this, all of God's acts are consistent with all of his attributes. Think about attributes. No attributes contradicts but all harmonize and blend into each other in the infinite abyss of the Godhead. He is at once faithful and immutable, so all his words and his acts must be and must remain faithful. As I was thinking about this this, this week and thinking, man, whoever, uh, Chip Ingram put God's faithfulness at the end of the book for a reason. Because I believe that all of the other attributes that we've looked at already inform God's faithfulness and his ability to be faithful to us. I want to just read these, all the definitions that we've looked at so far. Listen to this. We must remember, first of all, that God is not like us. Remember that. He's not like you. Don't reduce him to you. He's God, and you are not God. There is no one who is like God. The problem with our finite minds is that we want to reduce God to something that we can understand. And we know that the scripture says in Corinthians that we will not understand God fully until we stand before him face to face and we're fully known by him and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, wow, God. And so we look at God's goodness and here's, what we, here's how we define it. The goodness of God is that which disposes him to be kind, to be cordial, to be benevolent and full of the good will toward men. He's tender hearted and quick of sympathy. He's unfailing and his unfailing attitude or toward all moral things is open, frank, and friendly. By his nature, he is inclined to bestow blessedness and takes total pleasure in the happiness of his people. That's the definition of God's goodness. Listen to God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty is the attribute by which he rules his entire creation. And to be sovereign, God must be all-knowing, he must be all-powerful, and absolutely free. God is free free to do whatever he wills, to do anywhere, at any time, to carry our, his eternal purpose in every single detail without interference. Were he less than free, then he must be less than sovereign. Were he less than free, he would be less than God. Or think about God's holiness. God's holiness means that he stands apart. He's unique. He's unapproachable. He's incomprehensible and unattainable. In his difference, he's purely love, purely moral, and he is without sin. God's motives are pure all the time. Or think about God's wisdom. All of God's acts, everything that he does is done in perfect wisdom. First for his own glory, and then for the highest good of the greatest number of people for the longest time. All of his acts are as pure as they are wise and as good as they are wise and pure. Not only could his acts not be better done, a better way to do them could not be imagined. Describing the wisdom of God. Because God can see everything, every possibility that's going to take place because he's outside of time and outside of space. A couple weeks ago, we looked at God's justice means that people are going to get what they deserve. Listen to this. 
based on God's clear and full understanding of what they did and why they did it. God's just. Ah, but it's balanced. God's justice is And so God's love is his his holy disposition toward all that he's created that compels him to express unconditional affection and selective correction um, to provide the highest quality of existence both now and forever for the objects of his love. When you think about all those attributes of God, all those definitions, that's what makes God faithful. That's what ultimately makes God trustworthy. I want to tell you this morning, God is someone that you can trust. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and God is faithful. What is it, and how does God reveal his faithfulness to us? How does he reveal his faithfulness? The first way is this. God reveals his faithfulness to us through his creation. Psalm 119, 89 and 90 says this, Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Just think about it this way of God's faithfulness. The sun rises and the sun sets every day. Have you ever gone through one day in your life where the sun didn't rise and didn't set? No? Who created the sun? Who created the universe? God did. God did. In fact, scientists can even observe and even predict with accuracy when the sun will rise tomorrow. We were looking forward a little bit at Easter. The sun will rise on Easter morning at 6.12. And you know what? It's going to rise at 6.12. Not because scientists are amazing or anything like that, because God is that amazing. Because God is faithful. He's predictable. He's steadfast. He's loyal. You guys got that one? Okay. He reveals his faithfulness to us in creation. The fact that you're not floating this morning, I mean, is another example, but who cares? Um, He's faithful through his people. Think about this. God's promises to his people. Think about the patriarchs. His promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob in Genesis 12, 3. He said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. You're going to be a blessing, and all people will be blessed through you. And he affirms this promise with David when he says to him in Psalm 130, your sons will sit on your throne forever, assuming that they follow me. And of course, we see God's faithfulness to the church. In Matthew 16, 18, God made a promise, didn't he? What did he say to Peter? He said, you're Peter, and upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And he says, you know what? The gates of hell will not overcome it. Has God been faithful? Is God faithful to his church? Has there always been a remnant? Go back to that conversation at Starbucks that we talked about weeks ago when we were talking about God's sovereignty and, and God's, I can't remember which one it was. Remember the conversation though? The question was in, the, in Starbucks, you know, right at, right at the turn of the BC, AD 33, 
Starbucks. Picture yourself there. And the, the conversation's about this, is that, hey, I wonder, who do you think's going to last longer? You think that, you think Rome will, will endure into eternity? Um, yeah, probably. What about Israel? Nah, probably not. Israel will probably will not be a nation here for long. And guess what happened? God was faithful to his promise to Israel. Israel became a nation. Israel is still the center of, of things going on in the world. Israel still has a name. Who talks about Rome anymore? Who cares about Rome? Or look at church history. Look at the history of the church. The history of the church went through persecution after persecution. The more that the church was persecuted, the further it spread. Folks, if you're worried about the church today and whether it's going to exist tomorrow, you should be of great cheer and of great courage. The more that we experience persecution as a church, the more it revives. The more we see the faithfulness of God moving among us. We're on the cusp of great revival when persecution comes. God reveals his faithfulness to his creation. He reveals his faithfulness through his people. And God reveals his faithfulness to us through his character. I like this verse in Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19. It says this, is that it says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? No, our God does not lie. Our God keeps his promises 100% of the time because of his character, because of everything that he is. And so we see his character through the Father. We see his, his character through the Spirit. Think about the fruit of God and the faithfulness of God in your life. God says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 23, through the Spirit that we, we, walk, we talk about the Spirit in the church, love, joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his faithfulness, his gentleness, and his self-control. These are all characteristics of the Holy Spirit, and it's the fruit that God is producing in a believer's life. God's faithful to produce things in you. And of course, we see his faithfulness through his son. And, um, how can you not see his faithfulness in his son, Jesus Christ? You read the entire New Testament and you get to the end of it and you know that Jesus came as a savior, right? But look at the whole book of Revelation. What's the theme of Revelation? Jesus Christ is coming back. Our God is coming back, and he's going to judge righteously. Jesus will make things right. We talked about that in the midst of God's justice. And at the very end of history, who comes riding in on a white horse? The conqueror. The Lord, the righteous judge on the white horse horse. He's, he's robed in white, and he has two words that are written on his thigh. What are the words that are written on his thigh? Faithful and true. You better believe if God says that in Scripture that that's going to happen, folks. He's been right 100% of the time up until now, and he's not going to change. Our God is immutable. He does not change. 
Amen. And then we see God's faithfulness through His Word. We've already talked about that a little bit. I'm just going to run through this quick. His Word is true. John 17, 17 says this, Sanctify them by the truth. Your Word is truth. This is the true written Word of God. You can bank on it. You should read it. This is the book that you should be reading. If you need self-help, this would be a great place to start if you want to help yourself. The Word of God. God is faithful and He is true. And He's faithful in His, in his Word. God keeps His covenants. Deuteronomy 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is faithful God, keeping His covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love Him and keep His commands. Do you think that God today continues to love? How often do we talk about the love of God? God continues to love His people. He continues to be faithful to His people through all generations. He keeps His promises. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for He who promised is what? He's faithful. Through His Word, He fulfills His predictions. Isaiah 42 says this, I'm the Lord, that's my name. I will not give my praise to another or my praise to idols. Listen to this. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Listen, before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Just think of the Old Testament. Read the Old Testament sometime. See all the allusions to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our God is faithful. Every promise that he made came true. And so that's kind of the intellectual side, um, the biblical basis maybe for trusting God's faithfulness. And I kind of tried to rush through those things. But um, our faith intersects our life. This is where we live every day. Our God is faithful through his shaping of our lives. God shows his faithfulness in the way that he intervenes in our lives, right? When we're weak, when we're tempted, when we sin, when we utterly fail, don't deserve it. God is faithful. Everyone has a family portrait. And everyone could share a story of how God's been faithful in their lives. Some back and see God's faithfulness when we're in the midst of really hard things in our lives right now. We've got to go back and look and see. But God's faithful in shaping our lives when we're at our weakest. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says this, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly Christ's power may rest on me. You, did you know that the Apostle Paul is having a conversation with God when these words of Christ, those are in red in Scripture, come to him in a weak moment? Paul has some sort of physical issue that's bothering him, but a thorn in his flesh. Remember that in Scripture? 
Some people think it might, might have been malaria. Some people think it may have been an eye disease. Chip Ingram, he's like, hey, it might have been chronic back pain. Something was causing Paul to have this thorn in his flesh, and it was constant. And so God speaks to Paul. God says, sorry, I'm not going to remove that. He says no. Paul asks again. He says no. Paul asks again a third time, and God says no. He says this, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. And so Paul says, most gladly, therefore, I'll, I'll, I'll boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And then notice the next verse. Notice the next verse. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Therefore, I'm well content. Literally, that word is there is, I will delight in. It's a choice. It's difficult when life gets painful to delight in weakness. No one likes to be weak. With insults, not just one insult, insults, distresses, these are all plural, with persecutions, with difficulty. Why does he say that? For Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. You know what? Sometimes our weakness isn't something that's physical. If I go back to that family portrait, um, you know, one of the most difficult things that I struggled with growing up was always comparing myself. Man, I spent a lot of time trying to measure up to my younger brother. He's a year younger. Um, I, was always, I always struggled with never being quite good enough. I mean, in football, I started off in junior high, and I'm the, I'm the running back. I moved to tight end my, my freshman year. By my senior year, I'm a right guard. Guess who the running back on the football team is? It's my brother. Darn that guy. Why can't I be the running back? Or at least why couldn't I be the quarterback then? If he gets to be the running back guy, why don't I get to be the quarterback on the team? But over and over again, I've struggled with that for years and years, comparing myself to others, trying to measure up, always trying to perform, wanting to be the best. And over and over and over again, God meets me in that weakness. He meets me. And I've said, God, just take this thing away from me. I'm convinced that he's not going to take it away. And I think there's a reason for it. I think it's found back in the passage of this text a little bit before that. Paul says something there. He says, so that I will not become conceited, God gave me a thorn in the flesh. Wow, God. Well, you know what? I know that about God. But there's a danger to turn to everywhere else except for God in those moments. We maybe want some sort of silver bullet 
another self-help book or a person. Go to, we go to the refrigerator and we eat or we open you know, the refrigerator and we run to something that's not good for us. And in our weaknesses, we try to fill the holes. And here's where the hole gets filled. God is faithful. He is enough in the midst of your weakness. Rather than running to shopping or to work, or maybe you run to prescription drugs, or you focus, or you just do more to focus on your kids, or you focus on your work to an unhealthy level, letting it define who you are and what you're going to be. In that weakness, God says, here's the promise, I will sustain you. My power is perfected in the midst of your weakness. And our prayer should be this, God, I can't do this. I think when we throw up our hands to God, we say, I can't do this. He meets us in our weakness. He shapes us. He molds us. He changes us. You see, our character gets changed in the midst of our weakness. Paul's weakness never left him, that we know. And then what did he do? He still praised God for his faithfulness. You need to hear that. You really need to hear that. I'm going to say it again. Paul's thorn in his flesh never left him. And yet, what did he say? God you are faithful. I think we have a different definition of God's faithfulness. I think our definition of God's faithfulness goes something like this. Well, God came through and he changed this thing, or he did this or this for me, or he provided for me in this way. Well, now he's faithful. No. God's faithful even when the circumstances or things don't change in your life. And so God is faithful to shape our lives when we're weak. God's faithful to shape our lives when we're tempted. Notice this. This is a great promise. If you don't have this memorized, memorize it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 says, No temptation has ceased. You accept what is common to man. Underline that. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. So anything that you're tempted in, everyone else has had it as well. But notice the rest of the verse. It says what? Again, God is faithful. He's faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will always provide a way of escape. I think it's important for us to understand the difference between temptation and sin. Because if you don't understand the difference between temptation and sin, you're going to live your life with shame and guilt over things that are just normal in life. My dad and I decided to do this diet challenge. Okay? Back in October, um, we were sitting at the table, dad talking like he's going to die. I'm like, golly, dude, relax, you're only 67. And so we sit there, we hatch this plan. I'm like, okay, Dad, you're not going to die. Don't you want to live different? Don't you want to be healthier? He's like, yep, I do, but I don't think I can do it. So we entered this, this 
lifestyle change. Not a diet. It's not a diet. It's a lifestyle change. And here are the parameters around this lifestyle change. We're going to spend a year without sugar. Okay? Whole year without sugar. Part of, part of dad's weakness and his temptation was every time that he would go to work at the store, there's donuts there all the time in the bakery. Man, donuts are good, aren't they? And they're really hard to resist. And so we decided, hey, no sugar. You know what? And for me, that means no chocolate cake, no candy bars. And you know what happens then? It seems like everywhere you turn, when you can't have something, everywhere that you turn, there's chocolate. I'm checking out at Walmart, right? Why do they put the candy bars right in the checkout aisle? Because they know that, that they can tempt me beyond what I can bear. I'm standing up, sister. But for me, to eat that candy bar would be to lie to my dad. To give in to that temptation would be for me to sin. Now, when I walk by it, have I sinned in that moment? No, I haven't sinned. It just means there's something that attracts me. It's something that you want. In this particular case, I know it's not God's will for me right now. Now, candy bars could be God's will for you, just not for me right now. I'm not trying to demonize sugar or anything like that. It won't be good for you. You know, but then you give in, right? You grab the candy bar and you check out. Or someone shows up, up at a community group with chocolate cake. Stop doing that, by the way. <laughs> it's like, I have to have some of that chocolate cake because it's so good. I just want to eat it. And now, there's sin. Sin occurred. Now, I use chocolate trivial, right? It's easy to laugh about that. For some in the room, your sin is not chocolate. It's pornography. Look, that we log on. For some of you, you may have a problem with prescription drugs. And you hide it. Or maybe you're the person that has the third, fourth, fifth wine, and you, and you operate as a functioning alcoholic. People talk to you about it. For others, shopping. Every time you feel down or tempted, you go spend money on things that, and that you can't afford and, that, and money that you don't have. And so you just charge it. You know, for others, it's work. The denial is, I'm, I'm doing it for my family. I need to work 85 hours this week. And as you hear your spouse saying this, we never see you. The kids are wondering where you are, and so on and so forth. And behind every besetting sin, there's always something called lying, right? That's the bigger thing that happens in this. We lie to ourselves. Pretty soon, this discrepancy appears, you know, when we do things that we know are wrong, we're like, we start to make excuses, and, and this facade starts to come up. And pretty soon, the, the mask is so tightly fixed that we just 
We're living a lie. Let me ask you this. What's your piece of chocolate cake look like? What do you struggle with? You see, because God is faithful even in the midst of that. God is faithful even when we utterly fail. We're not just tempted anymore. Now, God gives us a way out. God promises this. You don't have to give in to the temptation. You do have a way out, but you try and you fail. You know what? I can tell you this. Willpower will not work. Scripture says this. No temptation has seized you. And yet the lie's there. The lie's there and says, well, this temptation's unique to me. It's just, this is the way that I am. It's my family background. It's the way that I'm wired. I can't help myself. That is a lie, folks. That's not true. God says that he's faithful and that no temptation has seized you, that he cannot give you a way of escape. One of my prayers as we started this series was that God would give us a clear picture of who we are and a clear picture of God and who he is. And that instead of the excuses that we make up for ourselves, the denial that we live in, that somehow we quit this, all of the duplicity in our lives. Because guess what? If you don't get real, if you don't own it, if you don't say, you know what, that's my chocolate, that's my besetting sin, that's my struggle, and we don't change. And we receive the consequences of our behavior, and it breaks the Father's heart. But here's what you need to know. And maybe you're hearing this this morning, and maybe you're not even listening. You probably shut your ears off already. Here's what you need to know. If you confess your sin, here's what it says, 1 John 1, 9. God is what? God is faithful, and he's just, and he'll forgive your sin. And not only does he forgive our sin, what does it say there? It says that he will purify us from all unrighteousness. You see, Jeremiah, he knew that. He knew that. Read the book of Lamentations. Israel did this over and over, and yet he says, and yet this I know, my God is faithful to forgive, to cleanse me from unrighteousness. And so once you've eaten the chocolate, once you've logged on one more time, once you've spent all the money that you don't have, or you've taken a vacation so that maybe it helps you feel better, um, when you've gossiped about someone else or about saying things that aren't true, but you're saying them because it makes you feel better about yourself. We all do these things. And you feel shame, especially when it comes to light. And God says this, I am faithful. I will help you in your weaknesses. I will help you when you're tempted. I'll help you when, when you're eating the chocolate even. I'll give you a way of escape. And so we begin to agree with God and we confess. And Jesus, we know that's why he died. You know that, right? 
That's why Jesus died for you. And Jesus says to you, I want to forgive you. I want to cleanse you. I want to put you on a new path. And I think this is the God that, that maybe most Christians just don't even know about. Most people live with this healthy dose of sin management. Right? I don't think I'm sinning quite as bad as, or as much as the other people. You ever said that to yourself? Or I'm doing this, I'm doing this, and at this end, and the scripture says this, and I know it's a violation, but you know what? Everyone else is doing it, and therefore it must be okay, or somehow it just is less. And if you live that way, blatant thing. You're just living a life of duplicity. And it will tear at your soul. And ultimately, it can curse the reputation of God. But God is faithful. He goes beyond our weakness, beyond our temptation, beyond our sin, beyond, beyond utter failure. He's faithful. Put that next verse up there, 2 Timothy. He says, here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we're faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Did you see the parallelism there? We died with Christ as in baptism when you were baptized. You died with Christ, and you're going to live with him. You will endure even when you're persecuted. There's a reward. Now, if we deny him by our behavior, we deny him by our actions, God says he'll deny us. When you're not walking with God, he doesn't give you peace, does he? If you're not walking with God, there's no peace. His blessing is not on your life because you know it. Now, he'll keep wooing you, but if we deny him, it says that he will deny us. But when you're faithless, like when everything breaks down, your whole spiritual engine, everything breaks down, and you're just messed up beyond understanding, and you're running away from God, and you're thinking that there's no hope, you're thinking that the black hole that you're in, God could never get you out of. Your heart's getting so hard as you're running away from God. When you're faithless, you ready? God remains faithful. And notice why. See it there. Because he cannot disown himself. That is the very character and nature of God to be faithful. God's faithful to give. How do we respond to God's faithfulness? You know what? Put your past behind you today. Put it behind you. If we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us our sins and he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. Second is this. Bring your present problems, bring your pain, bring your failures to Jesus. 
I think there's some of us who think that it's, it's by grace we've been saved, but by our effort, we're going to continue to mature. It doesn't work. You need to bring your troubled marriage, maybe, your, your, your struggle, your attitude, your resentment, anything that's in your life. Maybe it's one of your kids. Maybe it's your frustration with being single. You need to bring it to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me, all you who are weary, bur- weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, we think that it means just to cast all the burden on Christ. Did you notice what happens there? This is a picture of us getting in the yoke with Christ. Getting in the yoke with Jesus. Him bearing right alongside of us the burden that we're bearing. Seeing that the burden just goes away. Just means that we'll find rest when we, when we burden together with Christ. He's faithful to do that. I've seen it over and over and over in my own life. Some of the deepest, darkest struggles in my life. When my mom died, I was Jesus, I got in the yoke with Jesus. Jesus sustained me. He brought me through that. My God is faithful. And finally, put your hope for the future in the one who will never let you down. Put your hope in him. This is what the Lord says. We'll finish with this verse if the, the worship team wants to come. In Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8, it says, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, right? Who trusts in himself, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt where no one lives. Notice this, though. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted in water that sends out its roots. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. It's God's promise to us. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Say, God, great is your faith, Lord. Never fail. They're new every morning, God. How great, God, is your Would you come visit us even right now, Lord? Speak to our hearts, God. Be faithful, God, to your promises, all of them, God, that we've read about this morning. God, we love you. There's no one like you, God. So it's in Jesus' name that we pray.